The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In a small town many years ago, there lived a wealthy man, Dieter, and his devoted wife, Lila. They loved each other deeply and prayed to be blessed with a child, an expression of their abiding love. But alas, a child never came. Each day, Lila went into the yard and stood under their juniper tree, praying for a miracle. One wintry day, she went out to the tree, peeling an apple and praying for a baby. In her reverie, the knife slipped and nicked her finger. Leela watched as drops of blood dripped into the snow. The stark red stood out dramatically against the pure white. If only I had a child as red as blood and white as snow. Ah. And as the words came out of her mouth, a breeze passed through the juniper tree, rustling its barren branches. As the cool air washed over her, She felt deeply at peace. She knew it would be so. The months passed and the juniper tree's berries grew moist and plump, and she couldn't help but want to eat them all. Leela ate with a greedy hunger until she felt sick. She complained to Dieter that she was unwell. She felt something inside of her, moving, growing. The discomfort lasted for weeks. One night, she woke in a sweat, dripping in agony. She grunted and moaned, and suddenly, a boy emerged from her body, pure as snow, red as an apple. Her miracle baby was here. Leela took one look at him, and her body convulsed with joy. The pain had left her body. Dieter ran to hug his wife, but as he did, he noticed she was suddenly lifeless. He shook her. He screamed her name. He felt for her pulse. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You're listening to Tales. Today, I'm sharing a lesser-known fairy tale from the Brothers Grimm, the Juniper Tree. Though oft-forgotten, the Juniper Tree features a wicked stepmother who makes the villains of Cinderella and Hansel and Gretel look like saints. The tales on this podcast are dark, sometimes scary, and full of adult themes. As a warning, the story of the Juniper Tree includes child abuse, murder, and other atrocities. Please exercise caution for children under 13. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at ParCast Network. 
And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. If you want to hear more tales, you can find all of Parcast's shows wherever you listen to podcasts. The Grimm's are known for their shorter fairy tales, as opposed to some of their French contemporaries who penned more elaborate and long-winded yarns. But the juniper tree is an outlier. It is much longer and undoubtedly one of the more horrific stories found in their 1812 anthology, Children's and Household Tales. The Brothers Grimm credit a painter of their day, Philip Otto Runge, with the story of the juniper tree, but its origin is still unknown. Did Runge write it himself, or did one of his poetic paintings inspire an original story from the Grimm's? Or was Runga simply passing along a story he'd heard, a horror passed down through generations? <laughs> Dieter buried his beautiful wife Leela beneath the juniper tree. The soil mixed with his tears, creating a snowy, slushy grave for his beloved wife. At first, he didn't think he could bear this grief. Every time he saw his son's smile, he thought of how his wife would have wanted to see this bright, luminous child. But after another snowfall, as the ice thawed, so did his heart. He saw how much they needed a mother in this home. He met a woman named Ilsa, and while he did not love her like he loved Leela, she was a sensible woman who laughed at his jokes and had a twinkle in her eye. Dieter and Ilsa had a second child right away, Marlinechen, or Marlene for short. She was darling, with round apple cheeks and a charming innocence about her. Above all, she adored her older half-brother, Jacob. She followed him everywhere and tried to climb the high trees that he did. Jacob adored his sister as well. He looked after her and protected her. The two were the best of friends. They brought Dieter much joy. But Ilsa, who loved her daughter ferociously, despised the sight of the children playing and holding hands. Ilsa burned with jealousy. How easily Jacob won her darling daughter's affection and admiration, and what did he do to earn it? That love should be reserved for Marlinechen's mother. Soon Ilsa hated the pale white Jacob. Beyond that, she knew how the world worked. Jacob, the eldest son, would inherit everything when the aging Dieter passed. Ilsa and Marlinechen would be destitute, just like Ilsa was before this marriage. There was nothing, nothing Ilsa could do to change Jacob's position in the family. So she took out her anger on the boy while Dieter was at work. She beat him, slapped him in the corner, cuffed his ears. Even though it made her feel somewhat better to see the berry red welts on his back after she took a switch to him, it was not enough. He was still going to inherit all of their money, their home, and throw the mother and daughter onto the street. Every time Ilsa saw Jacob's cheeks flush with pain and the big watery tears stream from his eyes, she wondered why the strange pale boy wouldn't just die how much simpler it would be. She'd finally be secure in her home and in her daughter's heart. <sighs> 
One afternoon, Ilsa retired up to her room, exhausted. She reclined on her bed with her hand on her forehead. The mere thought of Jacob was giving her a headache. Mother? Marlene poked her head in. May I have an apple? Ilsa uncovered her eyes and regarded her daughter warmly. Anything for her treasure. Ilsa hopped out of bed and crossed the room swiftly to a beautifully carved old wooden chest. The trunk had a large heavy lid and an even heavier iron lock. Ilsa lifted it carefully and with effort, as if unearthing ancient treasure. This is where she kept her apples so Jacob's grubby little hands wouldn't pilfer them all. She reached in and pulled out the most succulent scarlet red apple, as blood red as Jacob's cheeks. Suddenly, a dark thought came over her. She felt chills on her arms, as if the devil were passing through her. She pulled the apple away from Marlene. She said, No, my child, we shall wait until your brother returns home from school. He shall have an apple first. Marlene nodded in agreement. That is very kind of you, mother. Jacob shall surely appreciate it, and he should be here at any moment. Ilsa sent her daughter outside, saying she should wait there while Jacob enjoyed his apple. Marlene nodded and skipped out. What an adorable, obedient child. Ilsa walked swiftly back to the trunk and placed the apple back inside with all of the other gleaming red apples and closed the lid gently, as if nothing were out of the ordinary. It was only a few minutes before Jacob came bounding up the stairs. Ilsa greeted him warmly. Jacob regarded her suspiciously. She smiled at him and offered an apple. Jacob raised an eyebrow. No answer. What a useless child. Do you want an apple? She repeated. Mother, you are looking at me so terribly. Jacob's voice trembled and he took a step backward. Ilsa's face softened, trying to coax him closer. Would you like an apple, Jacob? Yes. The boy responded slowly, but stayed still. Come here then, you can take out an apple for yourself. Jacob obediently stepped forward and knelt over the open trunk, looking at the apples. They were shiny and perfect. Anyone would take a moment to marvel before choosing one. Ilsa stared at the sweet white curve of his neck his light hair swirling innocently up into a cowlick. Maybe he wasn't so bad after all, she thought to herself, as she dropped the heavy iron lid right onto his neck. Up next, Ilsa discovers the horrifying consequences of dropping the lid. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. 
Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Now back to the story. The lid had severed Jacob's head cleanly and completely. Ilsa stared in horror at Jacob's innocent young face staring up at her from inside the open apple trunk, eyes glassy and shocked. The head lolled and dipped between the round, pristine fruit, as if it were a succulent delight itself. Pride faded to panic. It had seemed so clever in the moment, but how could she explain it to her family? Dieter and Marlene loved the boy so much. Fear swallowed her up as she thought about what might happen if they found out what she had done. She wrung her hands, fretting as she looked around the room. Marlene could come back in at any moment, and Dieter would be home for dinner within an hour. Ilsa spotted her dresser in the corner of the room. There, yes. She ran over and pulled out a beautiful white scarf, one of her most prized possessions. It would be a shame to soil it on the beheaded boy, but this would be her only chance to save her skin. Jacob's collapsed body slumped over the trunk. She yanked it off, stumbling and grunting under its sudden heaviness. She cursed his name. Ilsa hauled the child's corpse to the small wooden chair that she used to sit in and put on her shoes in the morning. She propped Jacob's body up and then rushed back to the chest to fish the pale head out of the apples. She placed the head of the boy on the body, wrapping the scarf firmly around the neck. At first, it was too tight and the head was squeezed right off. Tying a head to a dead body was harder than it looked. Ilsa sopped up the extra blood with a towel and quickly shoved it into the back of her dresser. Finally, she got Jacob's head balanced just right. The white scarf had become a dark ruby red as it soaked up the blood. Ilsa grabbed an apple and set it in Jacob's palm. Then, satisfied with her work, she serenely made her way into the kitchen and set a pot of water to boil for the evening stew. Marlene waited on the chair on their front stoop, impatiently, swinging her feet and whistling to pass the time. Her stomach growled. She was ready for that apple. Had Jacob eaten his yet? She didn't want to wait any longer. She hopped off the chair and skipped into the house, calling for her mother. In here, darling, her mother's voice wafted from the back of the house. Marlene found her mother, smiling and humming as she stirred a large boiling pot of broth over the stove. Marlene asked about Jacob and the apples. Her mother grinned down at her. He's in the room, dear. He'll get you an apple. Marlene ran into the room and found her brother sitting stiffly in the chair. He stared off in the distance as if he didn't hear her coming at all. Odd. Jacob, she whispered. She wasn't quite sure why she was whispering. There was just something rather eerie about his posture and his glassy stare that made her feel like she couldn't disturb him. She whispered again. Jacob, can you help me get an apple from the trunk? 
Still, he didn't respond. He didn't even blink. Marlene didn't know why, but her heart was racing. Something was wrong. She fled back down the stairs into the kitchen. Mother, brother is sitting in the chair, deathly pale. I asked him to give me an apple, but he won't answer me. Her mother seemed unconcerned. Well, your brother is always difficult. Go ask him again. And if he doesn't answer, well, then give him a good cuff to the ears. Marlene winced. She knew that her mother beat Jacob when he didn't please her, but she wasn't sure that she felt comfortable doing it herself. Marlene tiptoed back upstairs, praying that her brother would respond to her. However, he ignored her again. Marlene didn't want to hurt her brother, but her mother had given her permission to hit him. Maybe hitting him would help him snap out of it. That's what she told herself, at least. She smacked him soundly in the ear. Marlene looked down in horror. Jacob's head had fallen with a thud onto the floor. His lifeless eyes gazed up at her blankly. Marlene screamed at the top of her lungs. Her mother appeared in the doorway, a dark and looming presence. She stared solemnly at Jacob's head, lolling on the floor. Marlene was sobbing so hard she was choking, barely able to breathe. I killed Jacob, she sputtered. Her mother shook her head sadly and leaned in conspiratorially. She promised Marlene she'd protect her and keep her secret. Marlene didn't know what this meant, but she nodded. She needed all the help she could get. Mother stood back up. Very well, then. We shall cook him into tonight's stew. Marlene's eyes widened in horror. She looked back and forth between the body and her mother. Eat him? The thought made her stomach churn. Surely she was in a nightmare. Her mother nodded. Are you going to show your father this mess? Marlene shook her head sorrowfully, backed into a corner. Ilsa tapped her foot impatiently. Come along then, before your father gets home. He'll be very upset with you if he finds out what you've done. Marlene's eyes filled with tears. Her brother, her best friend, gone forever. How was it possible they were going to eat him? Marlene, what are you waiting for? Grab his legs. Marlene helped her mother drag the boy into the kitchen. Ilsa, all the while, cradled Jacob's decapitated head in the nook of her elbow. With much effort, they lugged him onto the countertop. Clumpy, bloody tissue spilling out of his neck. Marlene doubled over, retching. Her mother ignored her. She grabbed the largest knife she could find, the one reserved for large shanks of lamb and other sinewy meats. She began hacking into Jacob's limbs, chopping him up haphazardly. A finger flew off and hit Marlene's cheek. She howled in horror. Ah! Ilsa began dropping the pieces into the large soup pot. She did it mechanically, efficiently, as if she weren't cooking Marlene's sweet brother for dinner. Marlene ran to the corner and covered her ears, rocking back and forth, pretending Jacob was outside playing and that he'd be back soon, while her mother went along humming softly to herself. Marlene jolted up from the corner, where she had passed out in a tearful stupor. 
The door slamming could only mean one thing. Her father was home. Marlene wanted to rush to him, tell him what had happened, but she knew her mother would be upset with her. Dieter strode into the kitchen. What smells extra delicious tonight, my wife? He patted his rotund belly, ravenous. Marlene watched as her mother smiled sweetly, as if nothing were wrong in the world. I made your favorite stew with a new ingredient. You'll have to tell me if you like it. Dieter slid into his chair, and Ilsa poured him a steaming, healthy portion of stew. Dieter closed his eyes, deeply inhaling the savory aroma. Ilsa looked at Marlene crossly and snapped her fingers, motioning for her to get in her chair. Marlene meekly obliged. Her mother ladled the stew into her bowl. Marlene stared at the chunky soup, as if Jacob's face might come floating to the surface at any moment. Where is my son? Marlene's father suddenly asked loudly, looking around the room. Ilsa barely glanced over at him, nonchalantly settling into her seat. Marlene's mother succinctly explained that Jacob had gone to visit his mother's family and would be gone for some time. Marlene's father's mouth dropped open. My young son set out across the country without saying goodbye? Ilsa shrugged, as if this development were completely normal. He wanted to go and asked if he could stay for six weeks. I said it was fine. He will be quite well taken care of there. Dieter shook his head. He muttered over and over that he couldn't believe his son left without saying goodbye. Eat, husband, Ilsa chided. Marlene watched wide-eyed as her father took a bite of the stew. His eyes rolled mm. back in his head in culinary ecstasy. Wife, you have outdone yourself. This is the most delicious thing I've ever eaten, Dieter said. As he ravenously scooped up more, Marlene burst into tears. <laughs> Dieter glanced over at her. Why is she crying? Ilsa answered between greedy slurps. Oh, she just misses her brother. Dieter nodded, consumed with the meal. He inhaled his bowl faster than Marlene had ever seen him eat. More. I want more. Ilsa quickly doled out another serving, and Marlene continued weeping at the horror of her father eating her brother. Finished with his second serving almost as soon as it hit his bowl, Dieter's insatiable eyes turned to Marlene's bowl. Are you going to eat that? Marlene shook her head, tears streaming down her flushed cheeks. Her father grabbed Marlene's bowl and inhaled that as well. He then began to suck the bones once his bowl was dry, pulling every last gristle and sinew off with his teeth, then picking the stuck bits out with his fingers. Marlene thought she might vomit, even though she hadn't touched any of her meal. She noticed her mother was stirring it around in her bowl, barely picking at it, until Dieter consumed that too. At last, Dieter was full, drowsy. The soup, gone. Jacob, gone. When her parents went to bed, Marlene gathered all of Jacob's bones. She didn't want her mother to take all she had left of him. She grabbed the skull hidden in the kitchen corner behind the broom. She had seen her mother shove it there before her father could notice. 
Marlene ran to her room and found her nicest silk handkerchief. She carefully wrapped the bones up in them, fingers shaking. Still in shock, these were the remains of her brother. Marlene ran to the juniper tree and fell to her knees beneath its thick, bushy branches, weeping openly and loudly now. She set the bones carefully and reverently in a thick patch of grass and then collapsed on her back next to them. She closed her eyes and felt her chest rising and falling. It calmed her. With each breath, she felt the sadness leave her body, letting the earth take it for her. Suddenly, the ground was shaking. Now what was happening? Panicked, Marlene opened her eyes to see what new torment had befallen her. The entire juniper tree was moving and trembling so intensely that the earth beneath her shook. It undulated in a beautiful hypnotic rhythm as if it were dancing just for her. Marlene was enchanted. Was it possible the tree was doing this for Jacob? Marlene stood on her feet, backing away from the juniper tree, afraid that it might uproot and topple over. But instead of crashing down, a white mist emerged from its roots, shrouding the tree entirely. The mist reached out to her, pulling her closer. Marlene screamed, unable to run. She couldn't even see it was so thick. She spun around. It was hopeless. The mist was going to suffocate her. Up next, Marlene discovers what's hiding in the mist. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Now back to the story. Marlene was choking. She was dizzy from spinning around in the thick fog, trying to claw her way out. She finally managed to crawl on the ground a few feet out of the thick of it. She turned back to see if it was gaining on her. The mist swirled around the tree faster and faster until it appeared to create a fire. And out of that fire careened a magnificent silver-plumed bird. It shot into the sky as if reaching for the heavens. Marlene blinked rapidly and tried to follow the bird, but it was gone too soon. She turned back to the tree, which had stopped twisting and shaking. The mist quickly evaporated, and everything returned to how it had been. As she looked down to the grass, she could see the handkerchief and the bones were gone. Far above Marlene, the bird was on a mission. 
It had the blood of Lila, the bones of Jacob, and the magic of the juniper tree. Now, it simply needed three items to enact revenge. The bird ducked and weaved through the sky until it found what it sought, a goldsmith. The bird flew right up to his window and began to sing a gorgeous, lilting tune with words that told his tale. My mother, she killed me. My father, he ate me. My sister, Marlene, gathered all my bones, tied them in a silk scarf, laid them beneath the juniper tree. Tweet, tweet, what a beautiful bird am I. The goldsmith set down his tools, intrigued by the most beautiful notes he'd ever heard strung together, mesmerized, just as the bird intended. He stumbled from his workplace into the street after the bird. In his haste, he lost a shoe. Bird! Bird! He called after it. You sing like an angel. Please come to me and sing it just once more. The bird flatly refused, informing the goldsmith that he did not sing twice without something in exchange. If he wanted to hear it again, the bird demanded the gold chain that he had spied the goldsmith working on. The goldsmith obliged placing the exquisite gold chain at the bird's feet. He picked it up with his right claw and once again enthralled the goldsmith with his otherworldly song. When he was finished, the bird alighted once more into the sky, this time swooping down to the low, sloping roof of a shoemaker. Once again, the bird launched into his beautiful tale of woe. My mother, she killed me. My father, he ate me. My sister Marlene gathered all my bones, tied them in a silk scarf, laid them beneath the juniper tree. Tweet, tweet, what a beautiful bird am I. The shoemaker set down his boot and ran outside, entranced by the beautiful bird on the roof. Please, bird, sing your song again. I've never heard anything so lovely. (laughs) As the bird laughed at the man's request, the shoemaker called for his family to come out. They all stared up at the bird, unsure what they were waiting for. Go on now, ordered the shoemaker. Sing for us. Wife, you will not believe how beautifully this bird sings. No, the bird replied flatly. I will only sing it again if you give me something in exchange. There is a pair of red shoes on your top shelf. Bring them to me. The shoemaker and his wife exchanged helpless glances. The wife disappeared back inside and returned with a gleaming pair of red shoes. Perfect. The bird picked up the pair of shoes with his left claw and returned to his perch on the roof. He launched into his glorious song, and the crowd's faces glowed under the spell of his melody. Once the bird had dazzled the shoemaker and his family, He flew far away into the forest, gold chain in one claw, red shoes in the other. His eyes darted left and right, searching once again. He dipped down. There it was, a mill. He watched the miller's apprentices cutting and chiseling a stone. The bird landed on a linden tree nearby and began to sing his song. One of the men set down his tools, trying to find where the sounds were coming from. Another man followed suit, then another. As if hypnotized, they wandered over to the tree where the bird perched. When he was finished singing, there was a hush over the men. 
one of the men finally stepped forward. Please sing it again, bird. I only caught that last bit. The other men nodded, explaining they couldn't hear it in its full glory because they had been working. The bird clucked. He needed something in exchange for a second singing, and he wanted that millstone. The men were aghast at the bold request. The lead apprentice stepped forward. We would give it to you, friend, but we work for our boss. It's his stone to give. The bird stared at them. He was not here to negotiate. The men huddled together and came to a consensus that it was worth giving him the stone to hear the song just once more. They called the bird down, and it took all of them to lift the stone over the bird's neck. They feared the stone would crush him. He was so fine and delicate, but as they lowered the stone over his head, the heavy millstone slipped down around his neck as if it were merely a light collar. The men stood open-mouthed at the miracle, but before they had a chance to speak, the bird flew up to the tree and sang even more beautifully than before. The bird finished and headed back into town, quite a sight to behold, an alluring silver-plumed bird with a fancy chain in one claw, a pair of red shoes in another, and a millstone around his neck. Back at the house later that evening, Marlene sat around the fire with her mother and father. Dieter smoked a pipe thoughtfully. Ilsa knitted furiously in her rocking chair. Marlene curled up in the corner, whimpering, still inconsolable. Suddenly, her father sat up straight, his mood shifting. I feel so happy and content. I don't know what has come over me. I don't know what you're talking about, Marlene's mother responded. I feel terrible in my bones. It feels like a storm is coming. Marlene's mother was sweating. She unlaced her bodice. She was panicking now, rubbing her jaw. Marlene worried for her. Suddenly, sonorous sounds filled the room, coming from outside. There was a bird in the juniper tree, and it was singing its sad tale. My mother, she killed me. Marlene's mother covered her ears. That noise! Make it stop! But Marlene's father could not see her pain. It was as if he were in a trance. My father, he ate me. Dieter walked towards the bird, and the bird flew closer to meet him. My sister Marlene gathered all my bones, tied them in a silken scarf. The bird dropped the gold chain from his claw, and it fell perfectly over Dieter's head. He looked down in wonder at the gift. Inside, Ilsa moaned in horror on the floor, covering her ears. Marlene ignored her mother, enchanted by the bird. Gathered all my bones, tied them in a silken scarf. Marlene walked into the yard, awestruck. It was the bird she had seen emerge from the mists earlier. He was back. The bird flew over to greet her and tossed the pair of red shoes dangling from his left claw down to her, Marlene squealed in delight. She had never had such lovely shoes before. Laid them beneath the juniper tree. Tweet, tweet, what a beautiful bird am I. She looked back inside, hoping her mother would join. She beckoned her to come out and see the beautiful bird bearing gifts. Finally, Ilsa stumbled outside. As soon as she did, the bird flew over to her. Marlene's mother looked above her and screamed. Ah! 
the bird dropped the millstone right on Ilsa's head, cracking her skull and killing her instantly. As soon as the stone landed on her skull, she was engulfed in flames. Smoke and fire rose from the place that the millstone landed. Marlene and her father watched, open-mouthed. They coughed, waving the thick curls of smoke out of their faces. Finally, it dissipated until there was nothing left. Marlene's mother was gone. But in her place, standing right in front of them, was Jacob, alive and gleaming, white and red as ever. Marlene rushed to her brother and practically toppled him. She was so overjoyed to see him. She hadn't killed him after all. Her mother had fixed everything. They hugged, savoring their tearful reunion on the lawn. At last, Jacob said they mustn't fuss over him so. He just wanted to go to bed. He'd sleep well now that Ilsa was dead. Any sadness Dieter and Marlene felt at the loss of their wife and mother was replaced by their joy at being reunited with Jacob. Perhaps it was because of magic, or perhaps they'd always known in their hearts that she was a spiteful woman, driven by hate and fear. Marlene didn't let go of Jacob's hand as they walked back inside the house and lived happily ever after. Even though this tale has a happy ending, extreme malice and horror dominate the story, undermining its cheery resolution with lingering images of abuse and gruesome death. And while the stepmother's actions are indeed extreme, the Brothers Grimm would have understood how challenging and real the concern for parents were of this age, knowing that there would be another sibling standing in the way of their own children's financial security in the world and how tempting it would be to take matters into their own hands. Hopefully, Dieter's third wife doesn't feel so threatened. Thanks for listening to Tales. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Tales, as well as all of ParCast's shows, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help us. Well, if you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Join me in two weeks for another dark and surprising fairy tale. Tales was created by Max Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Carrie Murphy. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Liebeskind. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. Tales is written by Gina Machusek. I'm Vanessa Richardson. <laughs> <laughs>